Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Haley, how are you this week? Are you like buried under snow again? I'm so worried about what's going on in the middle part of our country with this endless winter. Alyssa, I'm a little chilly, to be perfectly honest. Um, We had a a really, really nice like two days um, of spring here in Bozeman. And then the temperatures did drop a bit, but we're holding, we're holding strong above 32 right now. So I think my flowers are safe. Um, I got a little nervous over the weekend and brought some of the pots into my garage and then uh, covered some other things. I like had an old like shower curtain that I threw over some of the bigger pots that I couldn't carry because I was like, please stay alive, flowers. But yeah, I've been I've been back on the trainer, back uh, on the treadmill. I did run out. I'll run outside when it's fairly cold. But I know this is kind of crazy. It's like almost June. I, I don't know what's happening, but hopefully... Hopefully this means we have a milder summer, but it doesn't just go like straight from, you know, 30 to 90. I have my fingers crossed. But how are you feeling? It was, I'm drawn, going droning, droning. Is that it? Is that how you say it? Drawling? Drawing, <laughs> droning on? I don't know. What droning. is it? <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm rambling um, too much about me, but how are you feeling? You raced. You raced last weekend. You did this like cross the world around the world trip going to Australia and uh, crewing for Ultraman coming back directly to Chattanooga 70.3 did the race now you're back in Virginia like how are you feeling I I'm feeling okay I think my body has I think during the run yesterday my body realized that like it's probably time to rest now and like get some proper rest and did started you, did shutting your body itself know down. <laughs> what time zone it's in at this point? I don't think so. I think it had a mind of its own and just decided to do its own thing yesterday. But I did. I did so many things last week, Haley, because since I last talked to you, I have held a koala bear. Then I flew back from Australia. Then so I flew back. I left Australia Wednesday night. I got, I landed in DC at 5 a.m. Thursday morning and then had a two hour drive home. And then Friday got in the car with my mom because she was going to help me swing this trip and drove the seven and a half hours to Chattanooga. Did all the pre race stuff Saturday, raced Sunday, and then within two hours I was back in the car with my mom driving back to Charlottesville and so now we record on Mondays it's Monday and I am finally starting to recover a little bit but it's been such a whirlwind but I mean Haley you know like when you're about to do some long travel you can't really do really hard stuff or you really should try to avoid hard stuff like going right into a long plane flight like that and then kind of the same thing coming out like you can't expect to just walk off a plane after 24 hours of travel 
and be like good to go to hit some hard workouts and stuff. So you kind of had these like weird, like easier days. And I'm like, well, you know, and I was looking at things and kind of wondering if I would race in May. I was like, you know, that's almost like in a roundabout way, like a weird built in taper, you know, so we could kind of see how it goes. And I was just counting Chattanooga as kind of a bonus race. Right. So if anything was really bad, if I got home and really like my head wasn't in it, I didn't have to go race, but I was still pretty excited to race. It was a huge field. We had, you know, 39 women signed up. I think only 27, um, were on the start line. And so I knew it was going to just be a big field. It would be a really good chance for me to kind of hop in the mix and see like where my fitness is. I have one more 70.3 coming up next month at Eagle Man. And so I just wanted to see like how it would go knowing I had all of the travel and everything in my body, like odds were odds were not in my favor, I guess. But, you know, I just I was ready to race. So you kind of got to take advantage of those times. So how did it go? Like, how did you feel and how do you feel coming out of it? Would you would you do the same thing again? I do. I think it was kind of like a mission accomplished thing. Like I wanted to get home and just like take a few days and then have a good hard workout. Like I think that was better than any hard workout I could have had for myself um, on the weekend. And so it was good. It got me like up and firing again. I think the hardest part was like in those days before trying to really make myself sleep as much as I could at the proper times. And then I find the eating schedule to be tricky too. Like when you're basically 12 hours on opposite schedule and then going back to normal life, like trying to, you know, have food when you should be having food to be fueling your body for the days to come. Like you kind of, I find I get into this weird state where I'm like, Ugh, it's like not, I don't want to eat any big meals really at any time. So I'm just trying to find calories when I can. And I think that's, that's hard, <laughs> you know, in the pre-race fueling days windows, but I did my best and, you know, I, I just, I wanted to, um, see where I was and I had a really good swim and a, a solid bike for myself. And, you know, unfortunately the run did get hard. The run always gets hard no matter what. Um, but so out of what could have been like pretty, you know, as bad as it felt, it's still looking at it was still a day that, you know, it was, it was fine by, by all measures of it. And I got to the finish line importantly, and you know, you, you can't complain about that. And Haley, this course, so Chattanooga, I've raced there several times for the full. It's a really solid, like, town to host a lot of athletes coming in for an event. And this was, I believe, the largest North American 70.3 that has ever existed. And I think, you know, I heard people saying 4,000 people, but they told us at the pro meeting probably like 3,000. So I don't know if, like, relays were counted differently or whatever. Um, but still, 3,000 is huge, right? And it was a lot of people. And... Um, you know, I didn't, I haven't had a chance to kind of hear any of the feedback. I know for the, the perspective of the pro women, you know, they pulled off the day. It was great. Um, we had the full swim. We were not in wetsuits and, the uh, age groupers actually had a shortened swim because of the river current and they were in wetsuits. And so that could have been not a disaster, but it could have been a logistical issue for pro women and having like interference with men in the age group fields, catching them, you know, if they had just left, the 10 minute gap, like they were going to, but, um, they actually did. They like took note of the fact that that would not be a fair race for the pro women. And they delayed the age group start further. And so we had really no interference, um, you know, from the age group race for all of the, the pros racing, which was really, really great. And we're thankful for that, I think. And we got, we could see all the age groupers, some were still, you know, because of the timing of thing, and because there's just so many athletes, some were still coming out of the swim as we were coming back in onto the run. So, it was a long, hot day out there for all the, the age groupers, but the city does. They embrace it, and it's fun. There's tons of people cheering. The aid stations are great. So I do. I love Chattanooga, and it's a fun, fun event. I love Chattanooga as well. Great race venue, and I had a fun time tracking you. I had a couple athletes racing as well, and within that three to 4,000. There were a couple of my uh, protégés in there, but it's it's a favorite um, of mine to, you know, to race myself and to spectate as well. It's a fantastic race venue. Well, congratulations. And I hope you're sleeping on a normal schedule now. And I hope you have a lot of rest coming up this week, um, just to kind of get yourself back into the normal swing of life. Yeah, I'm excited to have my own bed above all, but like then my own refrigerator, my own shower, like all of these things. I love traveling, but I do love getting back and having like my own set thing and routine. So I'm excited to do that. Those little luxuries in life. <laughs> exactly. For sure. 
But while I was away, Haley, I was able to take some of my little luxuries with me on the road through these adventures because Zelios has these great travel packs and I made sure to be packing enough for every leg of my adventure and then rationing it through my adventure. So I, I was never without it. I had, you know, my top two for this was the Betwixt, the Zelios chamois cream and the sun barrier, the, we definitely needed the sun barrier. Even, you know, I got some, some pretty solid tan lines, but I did not get burned in a bit in Chattanooga, which was excellent. So I don't have to, to, you know, recover from any sunburn there, but I loved it. I could just throw them in my bag and I had them with me everywhere. Those travel size Zelios products are, are very, very convenient. I like the, also like the travel size sun barrier can be good for if you throw it in like your morning clothes bag for right after the race, because that's something that has gotten me before where like, I, you know, well, we've talked about this. I like to sit around after a race and just like chat with people standing around in my race kit. Um, and that will, uh, you know, sunscreen only lasts for so long. So if you're out in the race and then you're still standing around later, you need to reapply. So sometimes having some of those like sample, like the little like travel size packs for post-race can save you from a post-race sunburn. <laughs> That's a very solid pro tip right now. I do. I like that one, Haley. And for our listeners, you can get 20% off of Zelios products at teamzelios.com with the code IRONWOMEN. Alyssa, do we have any mailbag questions this week? Haley, we do. We have a question from Kristen. Kristen lives on the East Coast with me. Hi, Kristen. And she's talking about how much the humidity has kicked up here, especially in the Southeast. And so she's curious what our pro tips are for keeping sweat out of our eyes on our tri-bike because it's so steamy. It's just like a steady stream of sweat these days into her eyes. She thought maybe you could relate... <laughs> Because maybe this happened to you in Atlanta. Oh, I was really going to, I was going to take myself off the hook here and be like, oh, I live in the dry West. I don't sweat at all. Alyssa, I'll let you take this one. But uh, I guess I did live in Atlanta for a while. So I do think people are different sweaters because I tend, I actually, Kristen, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't really relate too much here because I think I sweat a lot, but it's mostly like my body sweat um, and I'm like soaked, but then coming out of my, you know, like forehead while I'm riding my bike, I feel like it just kind of blows away in the wind if there is. But I will say I've trained with people who do, they have like steady drips down their face and I have never really seen them do anything about it other than just drip onto all of their nice bikes and their, um, bike computers and such. But, you know, I've seen, I've seen some, I'm sure the internet has some answers for this problem. So we might, we, I don't know, Haley, do I Googled, yeah. I Googled, <laughs> I actually, well, I, I do remember living in the South and, uh, you know, where I'd go for a run and it looked like I'd gone swimming and it was one of the biggest shocks when I moved out West that like I could go for a run in the rain and I'd like be dry at the finish. And I'm like, what is this? But, um, I did Google this and they're like, they're, they actually have products that are like, caps that are, you know, like, I guess they're like kind of sweatband caps that you can wear underneath your helmet to help that. I think also just like a cycling cap, like that are meant to be worn under helmets that are, I thought they were just for fashion, but apparently they actually can help, um, collect sweat. And then I also just wondered, okay, I kind of think they look cool, but like, have you ever worn just like a wristband, like an, a wrist sweatband and you know, and you could just like wipe it off with your wristband. I think they look kind of cool and retro, but, um, so there's a, a couple options. No, I like all those ideas. And I have seen, and I, I, to be quite honest, I kind of thought it was a little bit of a joke when I saw this product, but it's real. And if you were really serious, it's like this little plastic headband thing that's like goes across your forehead and it's, it's right above your eyebrows and it catches the sweat. And I want to say it's like a gutter. So then it like funnels it somewhere, which as I'm thinking about this now, it must just funnel it like into the back of your head, I guess. Like the drips have to go somewhere. And I don't think that thing's absorbent. And I don't think it's big enough to just like I mean, then you'd be holding like a cup of sweat above your eyes. So it's surely it must go somewhere. So that could be a little weird, but you could look into that too. If you really want to uh, take this to the next level. Christine. Yeah. It sounds like it is definitely worth searching. If this bothers you, like search it, you're, you are far from the only one with, with these kind of issues and people have invented things too. And they are for sale that will help. And, um, yeah, and maybe I need to look into these too if, for uh, my next trip back to the South. Cause, uh, I mean, I do miss, I do miss the riding there. There's great riding in the Southeast. 
And for anyone else, if you have burning questions to ask us, you can send them at any time to our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. All right. And we have a great interview on tap for all of our listeners. This week, we are talking to Natasha Vandermerva. And Natasha is a pro triathlete. She is originally from South Africa. Now she lives and trains in Texas. And one fascinating tidbit about Natasha is that actually when growing up, she was a really good tennis player. She actually played professional tennis for three years right out of high school and before she found um, triathlon. So Natasha's going to tell us a little bit about her history in sport in general and then how she got into triathlon and a little bit about, you know, racing in Texas, why she likes it and her role now as she has evolved into more of a veteran pro and a mom and a coach and a you know, ambassador for one of the biggest cycling brands in Texas. So all of that is coming up right after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have my very first Kona. I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right, and our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix chamois cream, swim and sport shower products and the body lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Natasha. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. So huge congrats on your eighth place finish at the Ironman North American Championships in the Woodlands, Texas, just last month. And you live in Austin, Texas. So it seems like you're on the start line of nearly every race in the Lone Star State. Do you love racing in Texas because it's close to home and logistically easier? Or is there something special about races there that keep you coming back? Uh, I would say definitely both. You know, every single race opportunity that you can have, um, you learn so much from races that you wouldn't have in training. And so I definitely want to take advantage of a local race so that have, I can have an opportunity to learn and to test out the fitness. And yes, it's super easy just to drive down, do the race and come back. And I feel like you recover so much quicker from that experience. And then I just love racing in Texas because there's so many people I know. I represent a local bike shop. Um, well, I'd say local, but there's six stores in Texas um, called Bicycle World. And I've spent, uh, I've been working with them, being an ambassador for many years, but been actually working for them on staff the last uh, year and a half, where I go from shop to shop doing presentations coaching presentations. And so through that, I've met just like a ton of people. And what I love about racing in Texas is you just know everyone. So I feel like I'm constantly talking to people um, prior to races and then out on the course, like I hear myself or my name, like every two seconds of someone saying hi. And I just love that. Uh, just being a recognized, but then me being able to see them and race with them and, you know, give a, a sign of support by cheering them on. And I get that back as well. And so there's just so much energy with all of that involved. And so if you're, you know, giving these presentations at the bike shops and stuff like that, have you noticed in the past couple of years, like an increase? I always think of Texas as being like yeah. a cycling hub as it is, you know, is there an yeah. increased, like, um, just kind of like want to do triathlon too? Like, are, are more people interested in that, that you're seeing? You know 
yeah, I am always shocked at how many new faces I see every single time I do a presentation. Like, um, so before I started working with Bicycle World, I um, started, I was the director of triathlon at Austin Aquatics and Sports Academy, which was a program here in Austin um, that was brand new. Brendan Hansen was doing the swim program. It's called Swim Club, uh, Austin Swim Club. And I was brought into direct the triathlon program. And I remember starting and, and here I had to recruit and basically build it up from zero. And I remember thinking, okay, who's in Austin that they're going to maybe leave their coach or who's going to actually want a group training atmosphere to come and train with us, thinking of all the people I knew that currently did triathlon. And what was so cool about that experience is that everyone that was coming in, half of them were brand new to the sport. And it just continuously, like that friend would then tell another friend or get a cousin involved. And, and so through that, it was just a ton of new people. And then here as well, like um, in Austin, especially like they just started this community club called the Austin Triathlon Club. And they must have almost 300 club members of people that were just wanting to connect with other athletes in the area. Um, and it's like, you know, $30 a year just to be able to connect online with other athletes and uh, all brand new people. So it, it's pretty amazing to see how it's continuing. You know, you have the people that stay in the sport for a very long time, and then you have some people that will do it, and like a bucket list item has been checked off the list, and then they will move on. But there's someone to fill that place. There's always someone new that wants that new challenge, uh, that wants to experience the sport, and then they share it with others that they know. That is great to hear as someone who's in the sport. And we're always, you know, we're always trying to get that, you know, that temperature on where is the sport? Is it growing? Is it shrinking? You know, and you can hear, read all these things and hear about it. But great to hear your perspective there. But going back to, to Ironman Texas. So that course is, is really well known for fast times and good conditions, especially since it moved to April. But it does have a slightly checkered past with a history of age group and professional draft packs and slightly less than accurate course lengths. So you've raced <laughs> there several years. Can you give us a little idea yeah. of how this year compared to previous years? Yeah, so this was my first year where I did the course on the Hardy Toll Road. So I really don't have anything compare, to compare it to because it was a different course. I didn't actually see a ton of it at all. Um, you know, I was, I was actually worried about this race and I almost didn't do it. And, um, I think I know Didi mentioned, I always go back and watch the Ironman now live, um, uh, recording and mentioned how the start list for the females was actually pretty small this year because people were probably worried about the drafting issue. And for me, I thought, okay, a chance to race at home and B, I bet they're going to really fix this issue with a lot more, uh, a lot, a lot more marshals really tell the age groupers, please don't do it. I think which got through. And with that, I've, I found that it was pretty open this year. I didn't see a lot of drafting from, um, the other female professionals, um, that I saw out on the course we were pretty well scattered. And then uh, to be honest the, with the men, there were maybe a handful of men that were not in packs, but maybe like three or four behind each other, just riding a little close. And I saw a total of three of those little packs. So now we're looking at about 12 people that I saw personally in that top range, maybe drafting versus what I thought would be like just, you know, 20, 30 people all being very intentional about it. So I was pleasantly surprised this year that there was none of that. That's really good to hear. I think, you know, they have been kind of not under fire, but there was definitely a lot of scrutiny to make sure that they made some adjustments to make the course a little bit more fair. And it sounds like they did a good job with that. And maybe athletes have taken it upon themselves too. So all good things to hear. And we're curious, how did you feel about your own race in Texas? Um, I have always mixed emotions. I think about all races as we all do. First of all, I always feel very fortunate a, to make it to the start line because we know when we're pushing boundaries to reach our best fitness, that's always never promised just to get to the start line and then B to finish an Ironman. I'm always going to be super stoked and happy about that. Now, if I had to break down, you know, swim, bike, run, I can obviously identify areas where I could be much better across the board. Like the swim is always a mystery to me a little bit because I put in so much time. So Haley, please share your secrets. Um, but I put in so much time training and I've actually improved a ton 
in the pool, I've been doing um, Jerry Rodriguez's uh, Tower 26 swim program. And so I've been hitting up those sessions regularly, seeing the improvements, but it just really hasn't correlated to a faster swim time in open water. Um, however, I'm getting out of the water as if I didn't swim. So I have to be happy about that. Like the fitness is there that where before I would get out and be tired and really build, have to build into the bike. Now I can kind of go off to the bike immediately. And then the bike, you know, I was happy with it. You know, I made a couple mistakes here and there where I'm like, I could have been a little faster, but it was a good representation of my biking fitness. And I, I feel like I rode strong to the very end. And then the run, I, you know, it was a disappointing run in how kind of negative and uh, I got on myself because there were times where just everything hurt and I wanted to quit. And that's never usually the case. Usually I'm mentally strong enough to identify that and say, I'm going to push through and this is just a patch and I'm going to get through it and fit, come out stronger. But I really mentally struggled on this race, be it from lack of nutrition or the heat that I wasn't really prepared for. But the I guess the silver lining on that was I did come through it. The last six miles were really fast compared to my middle 10 miles. I think I dropped another 30, 40 seconds per mile coming out of that. And so for, with that, it got me extremely excited for future races because I feel like the run is a mental challenge I need to overcome and it's not a lack of fitness there. So all in all, I'm happy. I have a lot of takeaways that I can push forward to the next race. I think you're right on there about the swim. Like sometimes these, we have to remind ourselves that, you know, triathlon is all three sports. And sometimes it's not necessarily about that split time, but how you're transitioning from one to the other. And I think that's a big takeaway that anyone at any level can get. Like it's not just like, oh, did I swim a little faster? But if you came out of that swim, you know, a little less tired, and then you're on the bike a little less tired, and you're running a little less tired, you're going to get an overall faster time. So I think you're totally on there. And that swimming, I mean, honestly, it is so hard. And I think, I mean, you know this, everyone knows, you know, it's, and gains aren't linear, you know, it's like we said, yeah. we have these times and we have jumps and I, I bet you have a big jump coming your way. But, um, <laughs> I am curious when, you know, when Ironman and they just announced that the 2020 Ironman North American championship will be in St. George, Utah, rather than the woodlands where it's been the last couple of years. Are you a little bummed? They won't be in Texas next year. I am a little bummed, especially since this race was such a clean race and being in a hometown race, again, just to be able to, you know, drive two and a half hours to get there and, and have all that support. But I, I understand why it would have moved just to maybe make it a fair course. St. George is such a spectacular course. So while I'm bummed, I'm also excited to go to a new challenge, a new course. And yeah, I think it'll be awesome. So Natasha, we're going to pivot a little bit because we want to talk to you about how you got started in sport. Uh, this is a very, you know, interesting <laughs> story. I think our listeners will love to know that you actually grew up in South Africa and you were playing tennis and you even played professionally for a few years after high school. So we think you might be the third iron woman we've chatted with that has a tennis background, including Kelly Phil now of the USA and the Czech Republic's Rodka and Haley will have to Kalfeld. help me with her last name. Yes, Kalfeld. <laughs> I always see it written and then I'm like, now I have to say it out loud. Tennis though, that makes, you know, I always tout soccer playing because I'm like all the <laughs> soccer players that we have with that background. I'm like, this is like a great sport, but, um, tennis, you know, what is it about tennis that makes for good triathlete later in life? So the, the thing that transferred the most for me was I was immediately a pretty good cyclist in the sport. And I think it's because I did so much strength training in tennis. We were in the gym every single day, squatting, deadlifting. Um, we did a lot of plyometrics. And so I just feel like that, that strength really translated over. The other thing I think really helped was just the mental focus of tennis. Like you really have to mentally focus on what you're doing, what your strategy is. And I feel like that really translated over to just, just holding focus and being present during my training and in races as well. And then I actually think triathlon is easier than tennis in the sense that you always had these mental games you had to play. Yes, you were, you had to play your game, but you had to figure out how to beat the other person and change your game accordingly. And then mentally not let anything that's going on in the, in the game, like affect you. Whereas in triathlon, it's, it's you, 
You know, yes, there may be some dynamics out there going on with everyone else, but marginally, you guys know that that really doesn't matter. It's like your fitness, you go as hard as you can or do the best you can for the day, and, and that's all you can give, where it, it, it's totally opposite. So I, for me, it's freeing going to the sport, knowing I can almost mentally shut down and get after it, you know. But um, just so you know, outside of the tennis, I actually did run cross-country as a, as a child, like up to the ages of... 13, before I went to high school and fully focused on tennis, I was running cross country. I did track so much so to like a, a upper state level. Um, I remember I had like the record for the 1200 meter. Um, and then I was actually a swimmer from the age. My two older sisters were swimmers as well with my middle sister being a big swimmer. And I swam a lot during two a days actually when I was like eight and nine years old, but I swam from six to nine. And I actually had the South African backstroke record for 50 meters. And at that point, um, I was swimming so much and I had the choice of doing swimming or tennis. And I was like, no, I really love tennis. So we're going to kind of shy away from that. So truthfully, I had a background in all the sports going we into triathlon. We could have had triathlon. like six-year-old Haley versus six-year-old <laughs> Natasha in backstroke 50-meter like showdown. Yeah. This I am been fun. 100% six-year-old Natasha would crush six-year-old Haley because six-year-old <laughs> Haley wasn't setting any records. I can tell you that one. In tennis, <laughs> in, in triathlon, in swimming, in anything. I was... Uh, that was not an auspicious start for me, but that's cool. That's like what you hear about where like people, you know, kids should do a lot of different activities. And like you are, you're doing these like tennis, which has this like lateral movement. And then you're doing, you know, swimming, which is like horizontal, you know, on a horizontal plane. So that, I feel like you're like the poster child for like what parents should be doing with their children if they want them to end up being great athletes. Yeah, no, I mean, I have a daughter now that's two and a half and to mimic the way I grew up, I would definitely love to uh, expose her to as much sport as possible. I, uh, outside of those three sports, I think we calculated, I did like 13 different sports because my mom and dad worked full time and they had a school program in South Africa where we'd get out of school at 1.30 and they had lunch for us. And then I would play every sport that was possible to play, even the boys sports, up until 5 p.m. where my mom would then pick me up after work. So for me, that was like the ideal childhood and exposure to everything. So wait, I'm curious about this, like playing the boys' sports. Was that, I mean, did that, was that like, were you just a kid who didn't care? Or was were you like, I can do anything? I mean, what like what got you into those? Or was it just like, oh, I have nothing to do till 5 p.m.? Like, they're going to play football <laughs> over here. I'll play football. No, I just loved sports so much that I wanted to do everything that I possibly could. And so I would literally beg the cricket coach to allow me to play and that he would allow me to practice with the team, but then he wouldn't let me play in the matches because it wasn't allowed. And so I was actually the cricket scorer where I would sit for hours on the side of the field scoring, you know, if they hit, you know, six or four or one and absolutely loved that. And that was maybe a day that I wasn't playing hockey or swimming or tennis, but it was purely because I loved sport, any sport. And if I had the time to do it, I would do it. So we did a little bit of digging into your professional tennis career, and it seems like you played all over the world. You had things in Cairo, Tel Aviv, Casablanca, Australia, Germany, Belgium. That's just the start of the list. So, yeah, you know, with your love of sport, did you also just love that travel aspect to being a pro tennis player or how did that work for you? You know, I honestly wish I could go back and do it a little differently uh, in the sense that I was so focused on going to these places and being the best tennis player that I could be that when it was time to rest outside of playing tennis, I was resting. I was inside the hotel or we had a homestay. I would just stay at, at the house and rest up for the matches. I really, unless someone honestly forced me to go and see something, like I had to be dragged to go see the Great Wall of China, which I look back now and I think like that is absolutely ridiculous. When am I ever going to go back to China and experience this? So I honestly went to most of these places and unless it was like this massive sight to be seen, I really didn't get out too much. But yeah, it was an interesting time because I, I look back and the thought of an 18-year-old, the fact that my mom had trusted me as an 18-year-old to go off to China by myself 
and go from city to city where there's no English. I remember my first trip getting to China and no one spoke English. And you guys know you've been there many times. But now and we I'm have Google Translate. Like- I will say that. <laughs> Google Translate gets you through a lot. I can't, when I, yeah, when yeah. we were 18, like that didn't exist. iPhones didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> so I like, I bribed someone and someone, um, I found like the one person who spoke English and I said, I will pay for your taxi to get wherever you need to get, but get me to my hotel first. And, and then luckily I ran into two American girls and they let me tag along for the rest of the trip. Cause there were like four or five chi- like trip, uh, tournaments in these different Chinese towns. Then I just kind of tagged along with them and like slept on the hotel floor and it was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been pretty awesome. I've, I've gotten to see so much for, for what I allowed myself to see. And uh, I grew up very quickly, we'll say that. <laughs> so Natasha, now when you travel for triathlon, do you make a point to see the, some of the sites and experience some of the local culture that you might not have done in your younger days? You know, I always intend to after the race, (laughs) but I'm always so tired that I end up just sleeping the next day. But um, we do. I definitely try to take in like the, the, especially as my career has gone on and on and on, I I have learned to take in and try to see some sites that I want to see or or do some things I want to want to do nothing super extreme but better than what I was doing when I was 18 to 20 and playing on the tennis tournament circuit so uh I know that is something I I I'm guilty there too that's what you get to see a lot though in triathlon like on the course I mean we cover in Ironman we cover a lot of distance so you know you get to check out road quality you know I can talk about that that kind of thing like (laughs) were there a lot of potholes you know what kind of asphalt um (laughs) those kind of things but um anyway back back to tennis tennis is often cited as an example of a sport with gender parity in both pay and media exposure and I you know from my understanding a lot of that is thanks to players of the past such as Billie Jean King did you, you know, when you were playing, did you feel like women and men were equals when you were on the court? So when I was playing, women, our tournaments and the men tournaments were never at the same time. And so uh, we never actually got to be around. It was only the majors and the really big tournaments that the men and women played at the same time. And I did feel that it was equal. I was at a time where they, they had... Um, yeah, equalize the treatment for the players. As a junior, the men and women, the, the men and women, the boys and girls did play together. And again, I, I felt, I didn't feel like any ill treatment for sure, but I can't really speak from the professional level because we, there were never any men around. It was just the females playing. So, and so we know that this is a big question, you know, but in your just life in sport in general, and you have siblings in sport and all of that, you know, um, and your time playing professionally with tennis. Is there anything you can think of that triathlon could learn from tennis or any sport really that you know of as we fight for larger paychecks and more media coverage for both, you know, men and women in our, our little niche sport of triathlon? It is a big question. I wish I could go back and see exactly what the steps were taken for that gender equality. As you said, you mentioned Billie Jean King. I mean, essentially they put their foot down and said, we're not going to play any tournaments. And, um, and so for them, it took, imagine if all of us said, we're not going to do any races, right. And, uh, we're going to create our own circuit and we're going to find a separate sponsor and they're going to pay us. I mean, that's essentially the route tennis went, um, beyond that. I actually don't know too much as far as what else we, we could take from that. I, I wish I did. Yeah, maybe it does take the, those people at the top, you know, who have that big pull. <laughs> yeah. You know, we need our – who's our Billie Jean King? But um, <laughs> it is – I mean, it's nice to have t- sports like tennis as a model for success. I mean, or apparent, apparent success. That's what appears to me on the outside, and it seems like from your experience you felt that way. But um, I'm curious about, you know, when you decided to leave professional tennis in – I think it was around 2002, you moved to the United States to coach – coach tennis. So when did you know playing pro tennis wasn't for you? And when did triathlon enter the picture? Yeah. So I continued to be injured. I I was plagued with a back injury and shoulder injuries. 
And it was one of those things where I would show up and hope that I could actually play. And I was just constantly nursing my shoulder. And it got so bad at the point, um, unfortunately, very young in my career, where like I would have flown halfway across the world to play a tennis tournament and I would wake up and barely be able to lift up my, my arm. And I was just getting frequently frustrated with all the PT that I was having to do for my shoulder, to do for my back, that I, I just... I said, you know, let me step back. Let me see what else is out there for me. At the time, my mom was working for Nike and they were putting on these junior tennis tournaments. And so the the stepping stone to me actually coming here was my mom put on a tennis tournament in the Bahamas at a club med. And I went and helped her with that as a break of my tennis career. And I loved the environment being in the Bahamas. And I loved Club Med so much that I literally walked into the general manager's office the day before I was supposed to leave. And I said, hire me as a tennis coach because I'm not leaving. <laughs> and I was, I was 20 at the time. And my mom here, my, I'd flown there with my mom and for two weeks and here I was not going back with her I was staying in the Bahamas and so they gave me the job and I stayed and I started just as like a tennis coach and like a month later their tennis director had to leave and uh, go work at a a club made in like China or something and I became their director of tennis and so I ended up staying there for a full year um, and then I met a bunch of people in the in Club Med that um, I became really good friends with. And essentially, I came to Austin to continue, like, to check it out and visit with my friends that I'd met in Club Med. And uh, there was a South African tennis coach at the John Newcomb Tennis Academy in New Braunfels. And through that connection, they were able to offer me a position to stay. And so that's how that all came about. It was like through the Club Med connection, come visit some friends, see if I like it. And initially I was only going to stay for three months just to see if I liked it. And I loved it. And so I I continued to stay and I was able to get a work permit here and uh, worked at a country club after that. And, uh, It was about seven years later that a friend of mine was a love triathlon and introduced me to it. And I was super hesitant because I was very tentative about the bike. I didn't want to go very fast downhill and it was very scary for me. And it took that person entering me in my first race for me to say, oh, well, I better train (laughs) and I better like figure this out because I don't want you to waste your $80. You know, I better show up. And so a friend introduced me. They, They taught me how to cycle. You know, I knew how to swim. I knew how to run. And it kind of took off from there. I love that confidence that you had to just go in there and say, you know, hire me because I'm not leaving. And you probably got a lot of that after traveling the world a couple of years before on your own, you know, so that's good for something for sure. And so, okay, once you started in triathlon, then you found, you know, you, you did find success fairly quickly and you took your pro card in just your second year in the sport and moved on from coaching tennis to coaching triathlon as well. So what is it about that? you know, just the sports of swimming, biking and running that really seemed to click with you so quickly. Um, I just, I love the challenge of it. You guys know how difficult it is. This is now my 10th year and you're still trying to fine tune all the little pieces of putting it all together that, and it's never boring. I mean, training for three sports. And then, as I said, doing all the little things around it is a constant challenge that I just, I, I love the process of, of figuring it out. As far as like taking my pro card, and so I met my, my now husband right after I started triathlon. And he was so excited because he, he had done one or two triathlons and year I'd come in and I won my first race and I was winning all my other races. He was like, wow, like you have to go pro. And I didn't even think of it. And uh, so we looked at like what that takes to be pro and we started kind of picking out races of where I needed to be. And there was, uh, what's funny is you've had these athletes on your podcast, but there was a local race called the Lifetime Captex Try. And I knew top three would get their pro license. And Leslie Smith, we were actually training here in Austin together. She was racing it as well. And we were in the open wave and it was literally the finish line shoot, which is exactly what she did at Ironman Texas to Kimberly Morrison. (laughs) 
but she passed me in the finish line shoot pretty much. And I didn't get my pro card at that race. And I was like, absolutely devastated. Like my career is over. And anyway, a friend then said, Hey, come to Kansas with us one week later. And I went to Kansas 70.3 and, uh, so many great athletes there. Um, I remember Jackie Herring was there and they had not taken their pro licenses yet. And it was um, Christine, Ham- Christine Hammond. She was racing. She had not taken a pro license, even though they'd all qualified. And I was like, great. Like, I'm not going to get my pro license here. So I'm just going to have like an absolute blast at this race. And sure enough, I had one of my best races ever. And then I qualified for my pro license at, at that. Going back to your original question <laughs> of like why all the changes, I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I stopped coaching because coaching was so tiresome on the body, my back, my shoulder, being out in the sun all day. If I really wanted to have a go at this, I was like, you know, we need to pare down. And so I just started doing some private lessons. My husband and I, I don't know if you guys saw, but we started a bike transport company, which kind of took me away from that as well. And uh, so we made it work. And then I started just doing like some core classes for a local triathlon club. And we piecemealed a career together so that I could race triathlon because I loved it. I love the stories about people who are now pro <laughs> racing as age groupers because Alyssa and I race each other as age groupers. And I think there's a lot of those. And it's it's really fun yeah. to see how people have progressed. And I, I love that story about Leslie. doing <laughs> She's been doing that for decades, catching people right before the line. That's that's a fantastic story. But um it, it does seem like once you race, once you started racing professional, you you do actually, you're on a start line pretty frequently, sometimes racing up to five Ironman distance races in a year, plus several 70.3s and frequently throwing in a few local triathlons and running events as well. So when you sit down to structure your season, do you, are some races, you know, set up for training purposes? So I would say no, there's a background to that for sure. The, the year that I did five Ironman races is because I was transporting bikes to those races. And I was like, well, because I'm here, I might as well do it. And so like you guys, I, I promise you, like I would drive a trailer, like a 30 foot trailer and I would go bike shop to bike shop. I would pick up and load up all the bikes, just absolutely sweating in the middle of summer, drive another like 20 hours to get there. And then it was like, okay, let's stand out in the parking lot. Let's hand out all these bikes and figure out to do some like prep workouts. And then I'm like, okay, I'm resting anyway. I might as well now race. And so that was like most of my career. I would then do the Ironman because I was there. And then my husband and I would proceed to stand in the parking lot, gathering all the bikes till 2 a.m. in the morning, get in the car the next morning and drive all the way back. (laughs) And so... So that is why I raced as much as I did. (laughs) And then you couldn't miss an opportunity to race local because it's so much fun. You get to see all your friends. Why not? It's a great training day. Yeah. And now this year, last year, when I got back into it, because I actually stopped for a brief moment, A, to have my daughter and B, I actually, I actually kind of, I wouldn't say retired, but I didn't have really any intention to come back with a vengeance. I was coaching. And now that I'm back, I am trying to be a little more strategic with why I choose races. Last year was a lot of experience at the 70.3 distance. Now that I was kind of training full time, I chose races that I really wanted to do. Um, was there like a specific buildup and taper to each race? No, you know, we race a lot because we love it and I want to test my fitness. And this year I am being a little more strategic in not racing as frequently, but doing more of a build for each race so that at least I can do, do as best as I can. I can't even imagine all of the driving and the, the, it's like an expo life, you know, basically (laughs) like going into all these races. So you know, with that, obviously it's not the most ideal like pre-race or post-race, but do you have any kind of recovery tips or even just tips for in that pre those days leading when you're in the car a lot and things like that, that you would do like any, you know, products you used or tools or just like even mentally what your tricks were for listeners who are maybe, you know, have to drive (laughs) a long way to a race or trying to figure out how they can kind of recover when they're racing a lot back to back too. Yeah, the the biggest thing was making sure you take the stops um, so you can get out and stretch. Make sure you're on top of your nutrition and hydration. That would probably be number one. Like whenever I went to a race, I always pre-prepared my meals and I had a cooler of these perfect healthy snacks 
tons of water, tons of electrolytes when I needed them. And that made me feel just well-fueled, energized to, when I got there. Um, and then also making sure I got off the road early enough so that I could do like a shakeout swim. Um, I would look up ahead of time where pools were, where gyms were, and I would book hotels that were close to a pool or a gym so I could get my workouts in and then make sure I get to sleep early. As far as after the race, that was always a crapshoot because I was so tired. Like I really tried to eat healthy. I really tried to do the exercises. And, and really that's what it comes down to is really staying on top of nutrition, sleep and exercise to get that blood flow moving. But I, I could not do it. I was always pretty toast after a race and a trip. Natasha, do you, do you still run this bike transport company with your husband or have you taken a step back? No, we sold it. Um, so we sold it a couple of years ago. There was a gentleman working for us um, that he turned it into the cycle chauffeur, which was very well known here in the uh, Texas area. And he actually now just sold it recently to to try bike transport bought, bought, bought him out. But now another transport company in Texas has kind of taken over his space. So it, it's continued now in I love my bike transport is what it's called. I love the, the entrepreneurial streak here and, you know, <laughs> getting it done, whatever it takes. But um, right. you mentioned your daughter and because you are also a mom and I believe your daughter will turn three years old a little later this summer. And you've written a few blog posts about your pregnancy and postpartum life. And so I'm curious to know if there was anything about returning to racing as a mom that really surprised you. Or maybe it sounds like it might have been the actual return to racing that surprised you. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it, it's, it, it's a tough one being a mom because everyone will identify that you do, you always struggle with that mom guilt of like taking care of yourself, doing something that you're super passionate about and making sure you're also taking care of them and have a lot of energy to spend with them. And I found like, I feel like I found a good rhythm with that, knowing that like, I do need to a, take care of myself to be the best mom and best person for her. Uh, even though I don't have the maybe the quality of time that some other moms have. While, again, I, I do have quality of time because I'm not working an eight-to-five job. This job actually affords me a lot more time throughout the day to spend with her, to take her to school, to pick her up from school, to spend pockets of time. But yeah, I feel like once I'm doing, because I'm doing something that I really love, I'm able to then be the best person for her as well. And I feel as a mom, like when she grows up, I want her to pursue something that whatever it is she wants to do and loves to do. And so anyway, I'm off your question. Oh, if there's <laughs> anything surprising, mom, like did, was yeah. it easier than you thought, harder than you thought? Do you, is there anything you do different? Like in, especially in that return, I think we have listeners who are, yeah. who maybe are pregnant now or just had a baby and they want to return to racing. It, was there anything that like, you might have done different or that just was surprising? Yeah, no, it took a while. Like I had these really grand thoughts of after having a baby, I was going to get in shape really quickly. And that was not the case. I mean, uh, your world initially goes out the window because you want to take care of that person and your health actually is secondary. But then as you get the swing of things, you realize that you do need to take care of yourself to take care of her. Then outside of that, I would say my mentality in the sport has changed as a mother because now I feel very grateful that I get to do this. Whereas before I felt almost, it was weird. I felt almost selfish. Like I was putting life off before because I was like, man, I'm not having a kid because I really want to do the sport. But now I, I have a kid. I'm like, okay, in a way our family's complete. And I, I just have, now I'm doing the sport because I absolutely love it. You know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, my, my mentality has just completely changed as a mother. And I, I see it through the eyes of a mother of like wanting her to fulfill her dreams as well, if that makes sense. And Natasha, we read that you live by the words, greatness is a result of perseverance. So we're curious about what greatness is to you and how you apply that whole idea to everything you do, raising, training, coaching, parenting, all of it. So I think you would have also seen that I'm someone of faith, like uh, being a Christian is very important to me. And so for me, greatness is, is how can I be more like Christ every day in my life? And outside of that, everything else is really silly. <laughs> like that, if I can wake up and number one, be a good person, be thoughtful where I fail millions of times, but in essence, try to grow 
closer through Christ, through whatever I'm doing, being a mom, being a triathlete, being a coach. To me, that is greatness. And, you know, I just want to continue to pursue that relationship to be the best person I can be. And I feel like, yeah, in doing that, I just, you just never give up. You, you know, Christians, we have faith that everything is going to be good. And because we have his help and, um, yeah, I'm just, I don't know where else to go with that, but I I just, I I don't want to give up in life. I want to keep pushing to be the best person I can be in whatever that may be. I think that's a beautiful sentiment there. And Natasha, where where can our listeners follow you online? And also, like, or if they want to see you on a start line, do you know your race schedule for the rest of the year? I feel terrible asking people this right after an Ironman, but, you know, have you thought yeah. about what's next? Yeah, no, I have. Um, so I'm, I'm racing local. Like, after Ironman Texas, I did the rookie try, which is a local race, and then I'm probably going to do Captex try, which is – another local race here in two weeks time. Um, I have thought of the idea of going to do Ironman Boulder, which is June 10th. Um, so that is, is, is tentative, but leading that way. I was waiting to see, um, how it would pull up of Ironman Texas. And I feel like, um, I've recovered really well from it. And then outside of that, I've really chosen races that really get me excited about the course. And so Ironman Canada is on my list because I heard uh, Whistler is absolutely beautiful. I had an amazing experience at Ironman Wisconsin last year. Um, So yes, there's a lot of Ironmans, but (laughs) um, I just feel like if I'm going to build up and travel halfway across the country for a race, I might as well do an Ironman. And then I may do Ironman Arizona again. As far as where someone could follow me, um, I'm on Instagram. I actually uh, post a lot about my workouts. Uh, so you can kind of see what we're doing. Um, I post a lot about just the talks and the workshops I'm doing for bicycle world. And then there is a schedule on the bicycle world, um, webpage where it shows where I'm going to do talks. I do a camp for Waco 70.3. Haley, I hope you're coming back to do it. Oh, I love that race. And big shout out to bicycle (laughs) world. I think the bicycle world and the Waco running company, they put up that preem, right? So when you run the really, really hilly section of the course, there's like a preem, which I, it played into my race strategy last year. I wish more races did that. So thank you bicycle world for making that a very exciting and very painful first lap of that run. Yeah, no. So you need to stay tuned because they're working on something even bigger for this year that should draw a really big field. Yeah. So, um, yeah, what's awesome about Bicycle World and working for them is they just absolutely love the sport of triathlon. They're so incredibly supportive and they're always asking like, how can we make this better? Like they really love the pros and they think they, they elevate. I mean, I wish they would go to Ironman and say, these pros elevate the race experience. They need to be everywhere. There should be billboards everywhere. I actually think, Haley, that there's a photo of you in the store. Yes. Like they were so excited I've about the winners. It. They put a photo of you on the store and, and Starkey as well. So. Oh, I love it. I might have to go. I'm going to have to swing by there next time I'm in Waco for sure. Should. That, I, that should be right up there with Magnolia on things to see in Waco, Texas. You know, you can go to the it silos should. and then you go to Bicycle World and see my photo. But um, that's awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think that's it. I'm on Facebook as well, as far as where else to see me, but most likely uh, racing, you'll see me at quite a few Ironman start lines this year. <laughs> I'll probably be seeing you in Wisconsin, Natasha. So oh, that'll good. be fun for us to <laughs> be reunited there. Um, and our listeners got like a semi breaking news thing about things going to happen in Waco. So I'm excited to hear what that exactly is. <laughs> And anyone traveling to your area can certainly, you know, come to one of your talks or maybe get in on a workout or something that you're coaching. I love that you have all those opportunities for them. So thanks for taking the time to chat with us today and we'll see you out there soon. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You're right. And do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? 
I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor. And our listeners can go to NoonLife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's NoonLife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. Haley, it was so fun to catch up with Natasha. I've known her now from several seasons through racing. She's just such a wealth of information and has so much experience. Yes, and if our listeners are in Texas and want to uh, go to one of Natasha's clinics at Bicycle World Texas, um, they're called How to Structure Your Training Plan, and they're at all different locations in Texas um, during May, June, July. So definitely check out her Instagram for those dates, and we will link to that in the show notes. All right, Haley. Well, I hope that your flowers can come out from under the shower curtain this week. And you can enjoy a good Memorial Day weekend in Bozeman. You too, Alyssa. Rest up and enjoy being home. I will. I'll talk to you next week, Haley. Bye, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.